I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Well, uh, what do you do when it's fall? You can't sit outside anymore like you used to. And you're stuck in the house because of a pandemic and also just because it's colder out now for most of the time. Uh, you read. You, uh, I've taken up drawing again. Uh, on an iPad, because I refuse to get my hands dirty with actual real uh, ink and lead and, and paint and whatever else. Uh, and then also get into classical music, which is odd for me, because I grew up listening to uh, punk rock or hardcore music all through my youth. And as I got older, I sort of dipped into, I don't know, kind of middle-aged alternative music, which I didn't like, and then I uh, decided to sprout off and do my own thing. I was going to start listening to sort of weird alternative folk music and uh, stuff, folk music from like the 70s and stuff. And then uh, my tastes were all over the place, and then I settled on classical because I realized when you get to be 46 years old, uh, the music you listen to all your life, you're not cool enough for it anymore, or it's not cool or never has been cool. I listen to the music I used to listen to in my youth, and I think, this stuff is horrible. I mean, the lyrics and stuff are just childish. Especially like Metallica. I used to listen to Metallica when I was a kid, really young kid. And Metallica, if you listen to it's horrible. It's like it was written by a nine-year-old. Uh, the lyrics. The music, I'm not trying to say, is bad. The, the actual musical part of it, just the lyrics. And you listen, like, well, I'm just embarrassed. I'm sitting here listening to this right now. And so, same thing with the music I listen to, uh, like punk rock music. I'm like, yeah, this is embarrassing. And, uh, and it's kind of silly. It's good for kids, but not when you're older and wiser. So then I think, well, then I'll just listen to classical music. Uh, the folk music wasn't really taking me anywhere. And, uh... Eh, yeah, half and half on it. And like, well, at least it doesn't have lyrics that are embarrassing. And then I listened to a podcast from Vox uh, called Pops something or another. Why they call it Night at the Pops, I don't know. And, um, and they start explaining Beethoven's Fifth and the reason why it was a big deal and how it's, in the end, wound up making people uh, excluded from being able to go to orchestra concerts because it's too stuffy and people are dressed too nice and you don't know how to act and you can't make any noise. And they talked about how back in the old days, people used to get up and cheer and stuff uh, during performances uh, for their orchestra. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then I got bored of it and realized my life is boring and everything's boring. So that's something that came out of this whole thing was uh, I don't have any music I can listen to and be proud of without feeling self-conscious and stupid. And then the one I picked is uh, not satisfying either. So now what do I do? Just sit in an empty room and pure silence? Seems weird. Well, with that depressing 
thought, let's uh, read a depressing Russian short story. Well, let's learn about the author. Uh, <clears throat> for this week's story, it's Vesevold Garshin. Well, I'm not even trying anymore. Born uh, the 14th of February, 1855, and died the 5th of April, 1888. Uh, his portrait is a, he's a handsome man. Uh, he just looks like an average guy. He looks a little nervous, worried. And that's pretty much all I can tell you about him. Uh, his life is kind of in Wikipedia defined by what his parents did, uh, the wars that they served in under Ivan the Great, and that he also served in uh, the military himself for a while, and uh, and then he tried to commit suicide by throwing himself down a stone stairs leading to his apartment building. So there's that, died at the age of 33. So with that, let's dive into the story that he wrote before he killed himself, The Signal. Semyon Ivanov was a track walker. Ah, his hut was uh, oh, 10 versts away from the railroad station in uh, one direction and uh, 12 versts away in the other. Ah, about four versts away there was a cotton mill that had opened the year before and it was a tall chimney rose up darkly from behind the forest. Ah, the only dwellings around were the distant huts of the other track walkers. Simon, S-E-M-Y-O-N, Semyon, hmm, his health had been uh, completely shattered nine years before he had served right through the war as a servant, as an officer. The, the sun had roasted him, and the cold had froze him, and the hunger famished him on the forced marches of forty and fifty versts a day. In the heat, and the cold, and the rain, and the shine, the bullets uh, had whizzed about him, but thank God, exclamation point, lowercase none had struck him. Semyon's regiment had once been on the firing line, Oh, for a whole week, there had been skirmishing with the Turks. Uh, only a deep ravine separated the two hostile armies, and uh, from a norm till eve, uh, there had been a steady crossfire. Uh, thrice daily, Semyon carried a streaming, steaming samovar, and his officers' meals uh, from the camp kitchen to the ravine. Oh, the bullets hummed about him, and rattled viciously against the rocks. Semyon, I was terrified and cried sometimes, uh, but still, he kept right on. Well, there we go. They just kind of nonchalantly threw that sad little fact in. Uh, the officers were pleased with him because uh, he always had a hot tea ready for him. He returned from the campaign with limbs unbroken but crippled with rheumatism. Oh, God. He had experienced no little sorrow since then. He arrived home to find that his father, an old man, and his little four-year-old son had died. Oh, my God. We're like only a page and a half in. Semyon remained alone with his wife. Uh, they could not do much. It was difficult to plow with rheumatic arms and legs, and they could no longer stay in their village. So they started off to seek their fortunes in new places. They stayed for a short time on the line in Kherson and Donshina, uh, but nowhere found luck. Then the wife went out to service. Oh, and Semyon continued to travel about. Once he had happened to ride on an engine, 
And uh, one of the stations, the face of the station master, seemed familiar to him. Semyon uh, looks at the station master, and the station master looks at Semyon, and they, they recognize each other. Ha ha! It had been an officer in Semyon's regiment. You're, you are Ivanov, uh, he said. Uh, yes, Your Excellency. Uh, how do you come to be here? Uh, Semyon told them all. Uh, where are you off to? Oh, I cannot tell you, sir. Idiot! Uh, what do you mean you cannot tell you? Uh, what I mean to say, uh, Your Excellency, uh, there is nowhere for me to go. I must hunt for work, sir. Yeah, the station master looked at him and thought a bit and said, uh, See here, friend. Uh, stay here a while at the station. You are married, I think. Uh, where's your wife? Yes, Your Excellency. I am married. Uh, my wife is at Kursk in a service with a merchant. Well, write to your wife to come here. I will give you a free pass for her. Uh, there is a position as a track walker open. I will speak to the chief on your behalf. Oh, I should be very grateful to you, Your Excellency, replied Semyon. He stayed at the station, helped in the kitchen, uh, cut firewood, uh, kept the yard clean, and swept the platform. In a fortnight's time, his wife arrived, and Semyon went on a hand trolley to his hut. The hut was a new one, oh, and warm, with as much wood as he wanted. Ah, there's a little vegetable garden, a legacy of former track walkers, and there's about half a dissertant of plowed land on either side of the railway embankment. Semyon was rejoiced. He began to think of doing some farming, of uh, purchasing a, uh, a cow, a, a horse. He's given all the necessary stores, a, a green flag, a red flag, a lanterns, a horn, a hammer, a screw wrench for, for the nuts, and a crowbar, a spade, a broom, bolts, and nails. They gave him two books of regulations and a timetable of the train. At first, Semyon could not sleep at night and learnt the whole timetable by heart. Two hours before a train was due, he would go over to a section and sit on a bench at the hut and look and listen whether the rails were trembling or the rumble of the train could be heard. He even learned the regulations by heart, although he could only read uh, by spelling out each word. It was summer, and the work was not heavy. Uh, there was no snow to clear away, and the trains on that line were uh, infrequent. Semyon used to go over his verse twice a day and examine and screw up the nuts here and there, uh, keep the bed level, and look at the water pipes. And then go home uh, to his own affairs. There was only one drawback. He always had to go get the inspector's permission uh, for the least little thing he wanted to do. Semyon and his wife were even beginning to get bored. Yeah, two months had passed. And Semyon commenced to make the acquaintance of his neighbors. The track walkers on either side of him, uh, one was a very old man, whom the authorities were always meaning to relieve. Uh, he scarcely moved out of his hut, and his wife used to do all the work. Uh, the other track walker, nearest the station, was a young man, uh, thin but muscular. He and Semyon met for the first time on the line midway between the huts, and Semyon took off his hat and uh, bowed. "'Good health to you, uh, neighbor,' he said." Yeah, the neighbor glanced askance at him. Uh, how do you do, he replied, and then turned around and made off. Uh, later the wives met. Ah, ha, ha. Semyon's wife passed the time of day with her neighbor, but neither did she say much. Uh, on one occasion, Semyon said to her, uh, Young woman, uh, your husband is not very talkative. And the woman said nothing at first, then replied, uh, But what is there to, to talk about? Everyone has his own business. Go your way, and God be with you. However, after another month or so, they became acquainted. Semyon would uh, go with Fastly Long Line and sit on the edge of a pipe 
sit on the edge of a pipe. Oh, not a pipe and smoke. Those are two separate things, not pipe smoke. Uh, I'm sorry. And then talk of life. Vastly, uh, for the most part, he kept silent. But Semyon talked of his village and of the campaign through which he had passed. I have had no little sorrow in my day, he would say, and goodness knows I have not lived long. God has not given me happiness, uh, but what he may give, so will it be. That's so, friend, Vasily Stepinovich. Vasily Stepinovich <laughs> knocked the ashes out of his pipe against the rail, stood up and said, uh, it's not luck which follows us in life, but human beings. There is no crueler beast on earth than man. Wolf uh, does not eat wolf, but man will readily devour man. Uh, come, friend, don't say that. A wolf eats wolf. Uh, the words came into my mind, and I said it. All the same, there is nothing crueler than man. If it were not for the wickedness and greed, it would be uh, possible to live. Everybody uh, tries to sting you uh, to the quick, to bite and eat you up. Some of you pondered a bit. I don't know, brother, he said. Perhaps it is to say, but perhaps it is God's will. And perhaps, said Vasily, it is a waste of time for me to talk to you, uh, to put everything unpleasant on God, and sit and suffer. It means, brother, uh, uh, being not a man, but an animal. Uh, that's what I have to say. And he turned and went off without saying goodbye. Semyon also got up. Uh, neighbor, he called. Uh, why do you lose your temper? But his neighbor did not look around and kept on his way. Semyon gazed after him until he was lost to sight in the cutting of the turret, and he went home and said to his wife, Uh, Arena, our neighbor is a wicked person, not a man. However, they did not quarrel. They met again and discussed the same topics. All mend. If it were not for men, we should not be poking in these huts, said Vasily on one occasion. And what if we are poking in these huts? It's not so bad. You can live in them. Live in them? Indeed. Bah, you, you have lived long and earned little. Uh, look at much and seen little. What sort of life is there for a poor man in a hut uh, here or there? The cannibals are devouring you, and they are sucking up all your uh, uh, lifeblood. And when you become old, uh, they will throw you out, uh, just as they do husks uh, to feed pigs on. Uh, what pay do you get? Eh, not much, Vasily Stepyevich. Uh, Twelve rubles. And I, thirteen and a half rubles. Why? By the regulations, the company should give us fifteen rubles a month. Uh, here we go, with firing and lighting. <laughs> Who decides uh, that you should have twelve rubles, or I, thirteen and a half? Uh, ask yourself. Uh, do you say a man can live on that? Uh, you understand it is not a question of one and a half rubles or three rubles, even if they paid us each the whole fifteen rubles. I was at the station last month, uh, and the direct passed through, and I saw him, and I had that honor. Uh, he had a separate coach. He came out and stood on the platform, and I shall not stay here long. I shall go somewhere, anywhere, follow my nose. Uh, but where will you go, Stepyevich? Uh, leave well enough alone. Here you have a house, a warmth, a little piece of land. Uh, your wife is a worker. Land? You should look at this piece of land. And yeah, a twig on it. Nothing. I planted some cabbages in the spring, uh, just when the inspector came along, and he said, uh, What is this? Uh, why have you not reported this? Why have you done this without permission? Dig him up, roots and all. And he was drunk. Another time, he would have not said uh, a word, but this time it struck him. Three rubles, fine. Fastly kept silent for a while, yeah, pulling at his pipe, and then he added quickly, A little more than I should have done for him. 
Oh, you are hot-tempered. No, I am not hot-tempered. Uh, but I tell the truth and think, yes, he will still get a bloody nose from me, and I will complain to the chief. And then we will see then, and vastly did complain to the chief. Once the chief came to inspect the line, three days later, important personages were coming from St. Petersburg and would pass over the line, and they were conducting an inquiry. Uh, so that the previous to their journey, it was necessary to put down everything in order. Oh, ballast was laid down. Oh, the bed was leveled. The sleepers carefully examined. Spikes, yeah, driven in a bit, not screwed up, post-painted. And orders given for yellow sand to be sprinkled at the level crossings. The woman in the neighboring uh, hut turned her old man out to weed. Semyon worked for a whole week. Oh, he put everything in order, mended his caftan, cleaned and polished his brass plate until it fairly shone. Vastly also worked hard. The chief arrived on a trolley and four men working the handles and the levers making the six wheels hum. The trolley traveled at twenty verse an hour, eh, but the wheels squeaked, and it reached Seaman's hut, and he uh, ran out reported in solid air, soldierly fashion. All appeared to be in repair. Have you been here long? inquired the chief. Uh, since the second of May, uh, your excellency. Uh, all right, thank you. Hey, who's at hut number 164? Well, the traffic inspector. He was traveling with the chief on the trolley, replied Vasily Spiridov. Spiridov, Spiridov. Ah, is he the man against whom you made a note last year? Ah, he is. Well, we'll see, Vasily Spiridov. Go on. And the workman laid the handles, and the trolley got underway, and Simeon watched it and thought, Ah, oh, there'll be trouble between them and my neighbor. About two hours, he started on his round, and he saw someone coming along the line from the cutting. Something white showed on his head. Semyon began to look more attentively. He was vastly. He had a stick in his hand, and a small bundle on his shoulder, and his cheek bound up in a handkerchief. Eh, uh, where are you off to? cried Semyon. Oh, Vasily came quite close. He was very pale, white as chalk, and his eyes had a wild look, almost choking. He muttered, eh, to town, eh, to Moscow, to the head office. Head office? Ah, you're going in a complaint, I suppose? Give it up, Vasily Stepinovich. Forget it. No, mate, I will not forget. It's too late, see? He struck me in the face and drew blood. So long as I live, I will not forget, and I will not leave it like this. Semyon took his hand. Give it up, Stepinovich. I am giving you good advice. You will not better things. Better things? I know myself I shan't better things. You are right about fate. It would be better for me not to do it, uh, but one must stand up for the right. Uh, but tell me, how did it happen? How? He examined everything. He got down from the trolley and looked in the hut. I knew beforehand that he would be strict, and so I had put everything into proper order, and he was just going when I made my complaint. He immediately cried out, here is a government inquiry coming, and you make a complaint about a vegetable garden. Here are privy councillors coming, and you annoy me with cabbages. Oh, I lost patience and said something. Not very much, but it offended him, and he struck me in the face. I stood still. I did nothing, just as if what he did was perfectly all right. And they went off. I came to myself, and I washed my face, and I left. Uh, what about the hut? And my wife is staying there, and she will look after things, never mind about their roads. Vasily got up and collected himself. Goodbye, eh, Ivanov. I do not know whether I shall get anyone at the office to listen to me. Surely you're not going to walk. 
At the station, I shall try to get on a freight train, and tomorrow I shall be in Moscow. The neighbors bade each other farewell. Vasily was absent for some time, and his wife worked for him night and day. She never slept, and she wore herself out waiting for her husband. And on the third day, the commission arrived, an engine, a luggage van, and two first-class saloons. Ah, but Vasily was still away. Semyon saw his wife on the fourth day. Her face was swollen from crying, and her eyes were red. Has your husband returned? he asked. Yeah, but the woman only made a gesture with her hands, and without saying a word, uh, went her away. Simeon had learnt, when still a lad, to make flutes uh, out of a kind of reed. Uh, he used to burn out the heart of the stock and make holes where necessary, uh, drill them, uh, fix a mouthpiece at one end, and tune them so well that it was possible to play almost any air on them. And he made a number of them in his spare time, and he sent them to his friends amongst the freight uh, brakemen to the bazaar in town. Uh, he got two kopecks apiece for him. And uh, one day, following the visit of the commission, he left his wife at home to meet the six o'clock train and started off to the forest to cut some sticks. He went to the end of his section, and at this point the line made a sharp turn and descended the embankment and then stuck in the wood at the foot of the mountain. Oh, about half a verst away, there was a big marsh around which splendid reeds for his flutes grew. He cut a whole bundle of stocks and started back home. And the sun was already dropping low, and in the dead stillness, only the twittering of the birds was audible. And the crackle of the dead wood under his feet. As he walked along rapidly, he fancied he heard the clang of iron striking iron, and he redoubled his pace. There was no repair going on in this section. What did it mean? Hey, from the woods, the railway embankment stood high before him, and on the top a man was squatting on the bed of a line, busily engaged in something. Semyon commenced quietly to crawl up toward him. He thought it was someone after with the nuts with the secure the rails, and he watched, and the man got up, uh, holding a crowbar in his hand, and he loosened a rail so that it would move to one side. A mist swam before Semyon's eyes. He, he wanted to cry out, uh, but he could not. It was vastly Semyon scrambled up the bank as Vasily, with crowbar and wrench, slid headlong down the other side. Vasily Stepanovich, my dear friend, come back. Give me the crowbar. We'll put the rail back. Uh, no one will know. Uh, come back. Save your soul from sin. <laughs> Vasily did not look back, but disappeared into the woods. Semyon stood before the rail, which had been torn up, and threw down his bundle of sticks. A train was due, not a freight, but a passenger train. And he had nothing with which to stop it, no flag. He could not replace the rail and could not drive in the spikes with his bare hands. It was necessary to run, absolutely necessary to run to the hut for some tools. God help me, he murmured. Semyon started running toward his hut. Uh, and he was out of breath, but he still ran, falling every now and then. He had cleared the forest. Uh, he was only a few hundred feet from his hut, not more, when he heard the distant hooter of the factory. So, uh, six o'clock uh, in two minutes time number uh, seven train was due. Oh, Lord, have pity on innocent souls. In his mind, Simeon saw the engine strike against the loosened rail uh, with its left wheel, shiver, careen, tear up, and splinter the sleepers. And just there, there was a curve in the embankment seventy feet high, down which the train would topple and the third-class carriages would be packed. Little children, all sitting in the train now, never dreaming of danger, Oh, Lord, tell me what to do. No, it is impossible to run to the hut and get back in time. 
Simeon did not run out of the hut, but turned back and ran faster than before. He was running almost mechanically, uh, blindly. He did not know himself what it was to happen. He ran as far as the rail, which had been pulled up, and his sticks were lying in a heap. He bent down, uh, seized one without knowing why, and ran on farther. It seemed to him the train was already coming. He heard the distant whistle. He heard the quiet, even tremor of the rails, but his strength was exhausted. He could run no further and came to a halt about 600 feet from the awful spot. Then an idea came to his head, literally uh, like a ray of light. Uh, Pulling off his cap, he took it out of the cotton scarf and drew his knife out of his upper part of his boot and crossed himself, muttering, God bless me. He buried the knife in his arm, uh, above his elbow, and blood spurted out, flowing in a hot stream. In this, he soaked his scarf, smoothed it out, tied it to the stick, and hung his red flag. Did you have to do that? Just waving anything is a signal. It doesn't have to be red specifically or no one's going to respond to it. He stood waving his flag and the train was already in sight. The driver would not see him. It would come up close by and uh, a heavy train cannot be pulled up in 600 feet. And the blood kept on flowing. Semyon pressed the sides of his wound together so as to close it, but the blood did not diminish. Evidently, he had cut his arm very deep. Oh, his head commenced to swim. Black spots began to dance before his eyes, and then it became dark. There was a ringing in his ears. Uh, He could not see the train or hear the noise, only the thought possessed him. I shall not be able to keep standing up. I shall fall and drop the flag, and the train will pass over me. Help me, O Lord. I'll turn black uh, before him. Uh, His mind became blank, and he dropped the flag. But the blood-stained banner did not fall to the ground. A hand seized it and held it high to meet the approaching train. The engineer saw it, shut the regulator, and reversed the steam. The train came to a standstill. Ah, people jumped out of the carriages and collected in a crowd. And they saw a man lying uh, senseless on the footway, drenched in blood, and another man standing beside him with a blood-stained rag on a stick. Vasily looked around at all, then, lowering his head, he said... Bind me, I tore up the rail. Well, what do we learn here today? Uh, We learn that you can get inside your own head too much. Uh, Get real crabby. Which I think is kind of a thing that we're experiencing. Uh, At least here in America, people getting inside their own heads too much. Sitting on Facebook, reading weird articles that have the... Let them come to bizarre conclusions. And and then you do something violent. And uh, in this story, a man learned from his mistakes, uh, tried to rectify his sin and uh, do the right thing. As he watched another man risk his own life... Uh, to save people. How does this tie in with what I said earlier about uh, listening to classical music and thinking that it's boring and that my life's boring? Uh, I don't know. I should do something more exciting. Like I said, listening to classical music, what if I made my own? And then I'd save it from its own sin, and then maybe classical music would come to my aid and, uh, and then turn itself in. Yeah, that seems fit. Well, with that, thanks for listening, and I will uh, probably give up on reading this. I'm starting to run out of short stories out of this thing. I don't know if I really want to go find more depressing Russian uh, short stories. 
So, uh, who knows? Maybe I'll try to find something else. For God's sake. Because after this, with that story in my mind of all the suffering and, and depression, I'm just going to roll onto my couch and try to find something to watch on Hulu. And eat. And then just sigh. And not listen to any music while I do it. All right. Again, thanks for listening. I'll see you later this week.